scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians 16. It is 1 Corinthians 16. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you just I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with with the brothers." Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achacus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches in Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. (laughs) You don't realize how infrequently you do something until you do it. And then people start to comment. My kids who didn't see me before I left the house today, they showed up and they're like, wow, you're wearing a red shirt. Is this like an angry sermon? I guess I don't wear red often. And then, you know, Ian's comment about working at Target. Maybe I'm compensating because this last chapter does feel a little anticlimactic. We're coming to the end of our multiple month-long study of the letter to the Corinthians. And last week... We had this grandiose, spectacular, overwhelming discussion of the resurrection. And today, travel itineraries, greetings, and goodbyes. Uh, You know, why couldn't we have ended last chapter? Why couldn't we have ended on, on this mountaintop of chapter 15 with this incredible theological exposition and this philosophical brilliance as we explored the depths and the reality of the resurrection? Friends, I don't think Paul ended there. I think he ended not in verse chapter 15, but chapter 16, because we don't live in chapter 15. We live in chapter 16. 
It's where you and I live day to day. Because Paul brings this letter back around to the end, and where does he end it? He ends it in Christian community. He ends it with discussion of family business, of family matters. He ends it where we live. And so what's essential to consider as we, we discuss you know, this, this reality is, is things like the resurrection in chapter 15. We need to think about these. We need to understand them. We need to talk about them. But the fact is, day in, day out, what am I dealing with? What are you dealing with? It's the people in front of me. It's the situations I face every day. And that's what Paul's addressing. He says, hey, listen, let's talk about the financial well-being of one another. Uh, do, do we know where people are and what they're doing? Uh, remember how to get along. This is how you behave in the household. Uh, and he sends greetings and, and prays grace over them, just like we send greetings and pray grace over one another. We end in chapter 16 because we live in chapter 16. So let's consider what Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth might have for us today in the church in Camden. And Paul begins in here in chapter 16 in verse 1 by reminding the church of the mutual concern and the care that the family of God should have for one another. Again, look at verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you are also to do. Just a note, we saw a while back, for example, in chapter 7, verse 1, the phrase now concerning, we remember that the, the church in Corinth had sent Paul a letter with a whole series of questions, and really the second half of this letter that we're just finishing up was Paul responding to their questions. And he usually started with, and now concerning, or about the matters you wrote me. And so here again, clearly they wrote to him about the collection that he was taking up. And so he writes, well, now concerning the collection, the one that you asked about. And so he answers them about this collection for the saints. Now, there's much that's written in Paul's letters about the collection that he was taking for the saints back in Jerusalem. There were those in Jerusalem that were in need. There was a famine. There was trouble. And so as Paul made his way through the churches of the Gentiles, he started to take up a collection to send back to those suffering in Jerusalem. And he writes about it. We find it in Acts, 20, Acts 24, verse 17, Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, all about this collection and other places about this collection that he was taking up, this collection for the saints. And so the collection was significant for several reasons, but the one I want to look at today and consider today is what he talks about in Romans 15. He talks about this collection that he's taking for the saints. In Romans 15, verses 26 and 27, he writes about it and he says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So Paul says, I've been taking up this collection from the Gentile churches to send to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Why? Because of our mutual concern for one another and our mutual need to bless one another. He says, remember Gentiles, salvation came from the Jews. Salvation, the Messiah, came from the Jewish people and the blessings that came upon them have now benefited you 
And so now, Gentile Christians, as you have been blessed and you've been financially blessed, turn around and bring those blessings back to the Jewish Christians who are suffering in Jerusalem. There's mutuality. The church should have mutual concern for one another. Everyone should give as he or she is able for the benefit of one another. Church, you see, Paul reminds us we need to give because church is not about me, it's about we. Church is not about me, it's about we. There should be a mutual concern such that we are willing to give of our time and our talents and our treasures to serve one another. And that's what Paul is commanding them and reminding them to do in these instructions. Give. Be concerned for one another. Paul answers the Corinthians' question about the participation by giving them instructions on how to participate. Look at verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, there's a few things to note in this verse. The first one is the phrase on the first day of the week. Friends, we remember that after Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, from that time on, those who followed the risen king, the people of the risen king, gathered on the day that he rose on the first day of the week to worship him, just as we do today. We gather on Sundays because this is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so Paul says, when you come together with part of your regular gathered worship, part of that worship is to be given. Friends, giving is worship. Giving is worship. So when we choose to withhold our giving, when we choose to withhold our time or our talents or our treasures from our gatherings, then what does that indicate? What does that mean? Because our giving is an act of worship. And Paul says, when you gather on the Lord's day, give. Give. Because that's worship. And secondly, he says the giving is to be intentional. Notice the phrase he uses here in verse 2. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up. That's intentionality. That's not, oh, whatever happens to be in my pocket today. That's not how inspired do I feel at this very moment. That's intentional. He says, plan. Be purposeful. Put something aside. Store it up. Be intentional with your time, your talents, your treasures. Am I crackling again? Seriously. Okay, we're going to have to replace it, Kev. You're finally going to get your wish. Time for a new one. See, so you need to give more so we can get a new microphone. Yay! There's the application for the sermon. Friends, our giving is supposed to be intentional. Paul says, each one of you, put something aside, store it up. Be intentional. Be purposeful. This isn't about inspiration. This is about intentionality. And thirdly, he says, as you give, give as you've been given to. Church, we give as we've been given to. Paul writes, each of you put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. I love that phrase. As he may prosper. So in other words, church, as you prosper more, you give more. 
Someday when we dig into 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, which is all about giving, we'll hear, hear Paul repeatedly refer to this collection that he's taking up for the saints in Jerusalem as a grace. He says this giving, this collection, is a grace. Because Paul's point, friends, Paul's point is that the giving that we do is only that which has been given us. Friends, if everything that you have, if everything that I have, if the money in my bank account, if the house I live in, if the very breath in my lungs is a gift of God, all is grace. I've been given everything. And I should give freely as I've been freely given to. And so Paul says, as you prosper, as God fills you with more, you give more generously. If it's a grace, God's undeserved giving to you, then you give wildly and undeservedly to Him. All is grace. So our giving is a clear expression of what you and I believe about the grace that we have been given. What does it communicate when we're stingy in the way that we give? What do we believe about what we've received? What do we believe about grace? Friends, if all is grace and undeserved gifts, then we should give as we receive. We should, if we prosper in time, talent, or treasures, we should give generously. Our giving is worship. Our giving should be intentional. And giving is a grace. Those who know they've been given much, they give much. So, church, what does your personal giving say about you? And then Paul goes on here in verses 5 through 9. He offers his upcoming travel itinerary. Here's Paul's travel plans. But there's a key verse, I think, right in the middle of them in verse 7. Look at verse 7. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. That's why Paul's given his travel plans. He's not giving them just to give an empty itinerary. He's trying to communicate his heart to the people of Corinth. He says, hey, listen, I don't just want to make a quick and a superficial visit to you. I want to draw near to you and spend some real quality time with you because his heart is for the church. And so he chooses to draw near them. He goes, listen, I'll inconvenience myself. I'll change my travel plans. So that I can spend some real time with you. Friends, do we have that kind of heart for the church? You know, there are times that I've been tempted to kill our YouTube live stream. I've considered taking it down because it can be a temptation for some people. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many who legitimately cannot make it to our gatherings. And the live stream is an amazing blessing to them. And I do not begrudge any who participate that way. But for some others, it's a temptation. It's a temptation to remain superficial and distant. Because, friends, it's inconvenient to draw near to the church. It's inconvenient to drive here on Sunday morning. It's inconvenient to find a parking spot, especially in the height of summer. It is inconvenient to have to put on pants. It is inconvenient to gather and to draw near. And not only that, but then, friends, you get here and sometimes it's just plain uncomfortable. Last week was a little uncomfortable with the heat. But sometimes it's just uncomfortable because, well, there are awkward exchanges when we gather together sometimes. 
Sometimes we're drawn into some uncomfortable conversations with one another. Sometimes I have to share a pew with a person who voted differently from me. Or I'm going to have to break bread with someone with whom I philosophically disagree. I mean, if I come and I gather and I draw near, I might be associated with people whose positions and behaviors embarrass me. So, friends, it's more convenient and comfortable to remain superficial and hold the church at a distance. But Paul writes to the Corinthians, I'm planning on drawing near to you. Now, do you remember everything that we studied in this book of Corinthians? Friends, the church in Corinth was a raging dumpster fire. There were divisions, factions, unrepentant sin, bad behavior, and Paul doesn't say, okay, I'm holding you all at arm's length until you straighten yourself out. Paul said, I'm going to draw near. I'm going to draw near. Friends, what is your relationship with the church? I mean, the truth is, the bride of Christ, she may not always be beautiful, but will you choose to draw near and to love her anyway? Paul did. And having dealt with his own travel plans here and, and sharing his heart for the church in Corinth, he, he tells about some other travel plans. We get travel plans for Timothy and travel plans for Apollos in verses 10 through 12. Now, listen to Paul's instructions about Timothy in, in 10 through 11. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now, now remember what we've seen as we've studied through this letter. Corinth was full of factions. People who were divided against one another, all following their favorite celebrity leader. Remember, all the way back in chapter 1, all the way back in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, 12, Paul writes, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Factions in the church had arisen, people were taking pride in the rhetorical skill or the historical association or the stellar credentials of a particular leader. And yet, who does Paul choose to send to Corinth with the letter he's just written? Timothy. Just Timothy. So to a church obsessed with celebrity worship, here comes Timothy. Timothy's young. He's not a trained rhetorician. He's not impressive. In fact, other portions of Scripture tell us Timothy was kind of timid. Timothy was really a nobody. And so the temptation of those in Corinth would have been to despise Timothy and treat him with contempt because he wasn't one of the big wigs. But Paul writes in verse 10, He, Timothy, is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Timothy is doing the work of the Lord just as much as I am, just as much as Apollos, just as much as Cephas. Friends, in a world of celebrity Christians, we are tempted to think this same way, aren't we? We are tempted to treat with contempt those that seem small, those who are not as impressive, those who are not as polished. But he is doing the work of the Lord as much as are the bigger, more impressive ministries and personalities. But friends, even worse, this, this temptation and this, this doubt sometimes sneaks in and it starts to affect us and the way that we're willing to minister. We say, well, I can't be used of the Lord, well, because I'm not Adam. I'm not Dan Smiley. I'm not Jeannie Colson. I'm not Kevin Stupka. 
But church, every one of you is doing the work of the Lord, as I am. Do not despise that which seems small or insignificant. Do not treat with contempt your own ministry or your own contribution. You are doing the work of the Lord. So let's every one of us give what we have for His glory. And Paul's not done addressing this divided, hero-worshipping church. He has to talk about Apollos, who is seen by many in Corinth as his rival. So verse 12, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you, and the other, to visit with, visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. So when Paul sent Timothy with this letter and not Apollos, you know, there were probably some in the church who were like, yeah, yeah, Paul's jealous. He knows if he sends Apollos, Apollos is going to show up, wow a bunch of people and draw people away to follow him instead of Paul. So basically, Paul's holding back Apollos and sending Timothy instead so that he doesn't lose followers. And Paul says, no, listen, listen, guys. I'm not playing games. I am not playing games the way that you play games. Apollos didn't come, but that wasn't me. I encouraged Paulus to come. He stayed back of his own accord. I'm not playing games with you. I strongly urged Apollos to come. Friends, we need to be careful not to attribute wrong motivations to others when an action is open to interpretation. I mean, we find Paul actually preemptively defending himself because he knew that many in the church would not extend to him the benefit of the doubt. Church, will we take the effort, will you take the effort, to understand the true motivation of others? Will you give to another the benefit of the doubt? Will you extend such grace to one another? And having settled all these travel plans, we find in 13 and 14, Paul offers some final direct instructions for those in Corinth. I love these. Verse 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. Now, I'm just going to start off by clarifying. When Paul says act like men, he is not contrasting men with women. Paul is contrasting men with boys. We heard him do it three chapters ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Verse 11, he writes, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So when Paul says, act like a man, he's saying, don't be a girl. He's saying, don't be a big baby. In other words, grow up. Put on your big boy pants. The command, in fact, act like a man was frequently used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Act like a man was regularly used to encourage soldiers or other people to act with courage and to act with strength. Put on your big boy pants and march into battle. Stop being a big baby. And that's exactly what Paul's encouraging here because we've seen through our study of Corinthians a lot of big babies in the church. A lot of people who are acting quite childish, demanding their own way, Dividing against others. Doubting one another. And Paul says, no, grow up. 
Persevere. Endure. Be strong. And friends, what are we supposed to persevere and endure and be strong in? Verse 14. Love. Let all that you do be done in love. Remember, three chapters ago, Paul dedicated an entire chapter of this letter to love. A discussion of love. Love is the most excellent way for us to exercise our spirit-given gifts together. Love is how we are to live our life together. But friends, we saw love is not merely a feeling. Love is hard. Love is work. Love takes commitment. And Paul says, hey, listen, church in Corinth, church in Camden, if you are truly and enduringly going to act in love, then you're going to need to work. You're going to need to be watchful. You need to stand firm in the faith. You need to grow up and act like men. And you need to be strong because love is hard. And church, are we willing to do the hard work of love? Are we willing to grow up, put on our big boy, big girl pants and choose love? Choose forgiveness when holding a grudge would be a lot easier. Choose reconciliation when just avoiding would be simpler. Choose drawing near when staying at a distance would be more comfortable. Choose to give when simply taking would be more beneficial. Let all that you do be done in love. And in verses 15 through 18, Paul offers the example of some godly leadership in the church. And he reminds the church, recognize and submit to such leaders. Recognize and submit to such godly leadership. He praises Stephanus and his household and declares in verse 16, Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. And then he says in verse 18, For they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Friends, godly leadership is a gift of God to the church. And Paul says when you see it, you should follow it. When you see it, you should follow it. Church, we live in a world that is increasingly suspicious of leadership. Mark's spot teaches us that all leadership, all power, is only ever about itself. It's only ever about protecting itself and what it has. And moreover, we live in a culture that increasingly encourages us to believe that no one can and no one should be able to tell you what to do because only you know what's best for you. But Paul says, no, no, church, recognize and submit to godly leaders. They are not your masters, but they are servants of the Lord and of his church. And when you see them, follow them. And friends, how will we respond to such leadership? Verses 18 and 19, Paul sends the church in Corinth hugs and kisses. Greetings from the other churches. And then verse 20, greet one another with a holy kiss. Friends, that command is repeated five times in the New Testament, and yet none of you puckered up today when you saw me coming. As we've discussed this command before, in the time and the culture of the New Testament's writing, the kiss of love or the holy kiss, it was a regular way to greet one another, a sign of affection, a sign of love. It was a mark of their relationship and their community. Now the times and the culture have changed, 
And in our context today, brothers and sisters in Christ might welcome one another with a holy handshake or an enthusiastic embrace. But the point is, we are all called to extend to one another affectionate greeting, practically, tangibly welcoming one another. A mark of our love. Church, remember what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 46 through 48, he taught, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. It challenges us to ask, who am I greeting and welcoming? Who am I embracing? Who am I loving? Only those that are convenient to welcome? Only those that are easy to love? Only those that are comfortable to greet? Do not even those without Christ do the same, Jesus asks, the loving, the lovable? What about loving the unlovable and the unlovely? Because remember, this church in Corinth is divided. They are, fra- they, they are fractured, and the church in Corinth, they need to do the real and hard work of welcoming one another, of loving one another. So welcome one another, greet one another, embrace one another, not because you're the same, Not because you agree, not because they're particularly lovable. Welcome them and embrace them, because Christ welcomed us. Just as God in Christ greeted us with a holy kiss and welcomed us into his family, greet one another with a holy kiss. Welcome one another into God's family. That person may not be very lovable or very lovely, but neither were you. And yet Christ welcomed you. Do the same for one another. And Paul comes to wrap up the letter in verse 21. Verse 21, Paul says, I write this greeting with my own hand. Paul used a scribe to write many of his letters. And we often find at the very end of his letter, Paul would take up the pen and he would write something as a signature to validate that this was actually him who is sending the letter, and or to write a personal greeting or personal instructions. And here at the end, we find not only this statement in verse 21, but some personal instructions, most likely still written in his handwriting, in verse 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Friends, to have no love for the Lord is to stand cursed. But in his great love for us, the Lord has made a way for the curse of our sin to be lifted and forgiven. Because of the Lord's great love for us, if we respond in love to him, then our sin, our curse is lifted. But if we have no love for him, if we don't respond to his love, we remain under the curse of our sin. Guilty. Friends, this is the gospel, the good news. The good news is the curse can be lifted. The good news is your sin can be forgiven. The good news is your shame can be removed. Turn to Jesus Christ who loved you first and love him in response. Confess your sin. Confess your need. Trust in Christ and what he's done in dying for your sin on the cross, in rising again from the dead on the third day, and your sin can be forgiven. Your curse can be lifted. Your shame can be gone. Friends, this is the gospel. 
This is the good news. And if you don't know and never have heard this and you want to know more, I would love to talk to you after the service. If you're watching the live stream, I would love to set up a time for us to talk during the week so that you can know the love that God has shown us. And friends, don't wait on this because the time is short. In fact, you heard Paul. He concluded verse 22 saying, Our Lord, come. This is Aramaic, Maranatha. And it probably represents an early Christian Jewish prayer, praying for the return of Jesus. Come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. It's actually the prayer we find at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 20:22. Come, Lord Jesus. Because, friends, we long for the return of Christ. That's what we talked about last week. That was the mountaintop of 1 Corinthians 15. It was about the resurrection. Jesus is going to return. The dead are going to rise. God's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe every tear from every eye. Sin and suffering and death will be no more. All the sad things will come untrue forever. Come, Lord Jesus, and make it so. But until that day, there is still time. There is still time to turn and receive the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. To have the curse lifted. To have your sin dealt with. And to receive that life that um, has come to offer. Don't delay. Paul concludes with verses 23 and 24. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. The grace of Jesus and my love in Jesus. Friends, Paul has to end on this note because those two things, Those two things, the grace of Jesus and our love for one another in Jesus are the only things that make Christian community possible. The only thing that makes our life together a possibility is the grace of God and the love that we have for one another in Christ. Paul's wrapping up this letter to 1 Corinthians, taking care of all this family business, And he says, hey, listen, we don't live on the mountaintop. We live right here in Christian community. And for us to be the family, the church that Christ calls us to be, what do we need? We need the grace of Jesus. And we need love. Love for one another in Christ. Those two things make it possible. For us to live together and to become the people, the church Christ wants us to be. So church, my friends, what will you do? What will you do to grow us together in His grace? How will you live out the difficult reality of love for one another, the love that we are to have for one another in Him? Church in Camden, what are we going to do that we might not come to look like the church in Corinth? Rather, how can we live and love in such a way that we might become a church It looks more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to become such a church. A church that looks like you. I feel like we prayed this before the sermon. Make us one. Make us one. Make us one undivided body. For the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your kingdom, make us one. May we be your people. May your grace 
and your love be the marks of this church. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing.